0: I love dancing. I always have. Um, I grew up with a father who actually was a break dancer and he had like a break dancing group in high school. Mm -hmm. And so he loved to dance. And I remember growing up, he'd play 80s rap, hip hop music, and we would all just like break dance. And he would, he taught me like how to do the worm and how Mm -hmm. to do the moonwalk at a really young age. And so dancing was just always something that I was passionate about. And I actually was a dancer and was on the dance team in high school. Okay. And my high school dance line was very competitive. It was a school sport. I know some people are like, oh, it's not. It, it is.
1: Oh, no. Dance, is, dance it. is definitely a sport.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I was in some other sports, too. And dancing for that three, four-minute routine was way harder than, like, a whole 90-minute soccer game. Yeah. Um, those practices, too, that we had for dance line were hard. They were really tough. Um, our coaches really hard on us. But we were actually, like, the most winning team that that high school ever had.
1: This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpri's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to solprey.com to check out the Anti-Chafe Balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a little bit in my corner, founder of her own business, founder of The Mental Clutch, a sport and exercise consulting company. She has her master's in sport and exercise psychology. She's a certified mental performance consultant. She's part of the Positive Coaching Alliance, a former collegiate track and field athlete. Also, fun fact, and I'm definitely going to ask her about this, Zumba instructor and new mom. So, if you hear a baby in the background, don't worry, it's being looked after. She's not collecting the baby. Welcome to the show, Jenna Fuchs.
0: Yes, thank you for having me. Happy to be here.
1: So, you were telling me before we got going, we just got to start right off the bat. Zumba instructor. So, I mean, it it is still athletic related or or exercise related but yep. a little out of left field from what you do for the rest of it so so where does that where does that fit in
0: yeah so um i love dancing i always have um i grew up with a father who actually was a break dancer and he had like a break dancing group in high school mm-hmm. and so he loved to dance and i remember growing up he'd play 80s Rap, hip hop music. and we would all just like break dance, and he would he taught me like how to do the worm and how mm-hmm. to do the moonwalk at a really young age. And so, dancing was just always something that I was passionate about. And I actually was a dancer and was on the dance team in high school. Okay. And my high school dance line was very competitive. It was a school sport. I know some people are like, "Oh, it's not it. It is." Oh,
1: no, dance played, is definitely a sport.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I was in some other sports too, and. Dancing for that three, four-minute routine was way harder than, like, a whole 90-minute soccer game. Yeah. Um, those practices, too, that we had for Dance Line were hard. They were really tough. Um, our coaches really hard on us. But we were actually, like, the most winning team that that high school ever had. You know, mm-hmm. we had many state titles. Um, it was, like, rare that they ever didn't qualify um, or place at state. So that's yeah. Fairball Emeralds, shout out to them. Um, so I was <laughs> a dancer all through high school. And then in college, actually, I still missed my dancing days. So my sophomore year, I joined the LC hip hop team at okay. UW lacrosse. And so we just, it was kind of more of a hobby. It was kind of a club. We just practiced and then we danced at halftime basketball games. And so I just did that on the side with track. My coach wasn't a biggest fan of me doing that in case I get injured, but mm-hmm. Um, he let me do it. And afterwards, I just missed dancing. And it's just something I, I love. And in grad school, I started doing some Zumba classes. And I was like, why don't I just get paid to dance? Because <laughs> I love dancing and I love going to Zumba. And I was like, yeah. you know, I picked up the moves really easily. And I was like, this would be really fun. And it's a great way to get free gym memberships, too. And it gets me moving and you get to dance still.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a great way. I was like, I think it's tough for a lot of people who um, did a sport in high school or, or into college even, that it's like, what now? You know, how do I still like, I spent all this time, I'm it's wrapped up in my identity. And then there's just like this hard line, like school's over and that that's it. Like there's no more, there's no more football or soccer, or whatever it is. How do I still incorporate that thing that I enjoy so much, in into my life now. So it's cool that you found, you know, an avenue for that.
0: Yep, Yeah. And I would agree. Team sports is a lot harder. Individual sports, you know, runner. You start, you know, doing road races. Swimmer, right. you, know, you start doing, you know, some open water races or something. Yeah,
1: open water. If you can do, yeah. if there's masters meets, there's yeah, there's cycling, which there's very few college. Cycling teams comparatively to like track and field, but plenty of opportunity there. Yeah, much harder with the team sports. But and that's actually something that you don't, I don't know that you necessarily um, specialize in, but something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I wanted to see if I, if you have any thoughts on it or I could pick your brain a little bit. Um, so I've kind of postponed my need to deal with the reality of you can't be a high performance athlete forever uh, for a considerable amount of time post-college as I you know left college and transitioned to triathlon and tried to earn my professional license in triathlon and then if anybody's listening to the show they know I I was in a race so I was doing very very well and probably going to qualify and then got into a crash shattered my collarbone and that was pretty much the end of um, trying to do that I was just uh, broken physically and mentally, more mentally than, than physically, really. Um, so, but so I, you know, delayed that needing to deal with the post athlete life for eight plus years post college, and then kind of been wandering around aimlessly. I still train, still competing the last couple of years, obviously not this year. Um, Well, the training part, not the competing part.
0: Yeah. Uh.
1: Do you have people that you know you've worked with that go through this transition have you i I assume probably gone through the transition yourself? Do you have tips tricks thoughts like how how do how do people deal with that
0: yeah um and i I definitely think most athletes go through this uh, I definitely went through it and I definitely have worked with athletes who've gone through it and I think one of the biggest things is preparing athletes for it. Because a lot of times it doesn't even get talked about. Like I think coaches need to be talking to their teams about it. And there needs to be things set in place for college teams, and even high school teams for if this athlete is no longer going to be in sport, you know, if it's their senior year and they're, they're done, like, how are you going to prepare them for that life after sport?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: a lot of times they don't get prepared. And all of a sudden it's, happens to them and it's like out of left field and they they don't realize how big that identity was for them until they don't have it. Mm -hmm. And then they struggle. And then it's even harder because sometimes they feel alone. Because it's you know and it's once they're done with their team or their sport and then they're by themselves, they don't have their coach, they don't have practice and they're they're at it by themselves and they struggle even more. So I think preparing them for it, having that conversation having a support team, um, reaching out to people and talking to people if you are having a hard time with it, because more likely, you know, other people you competed with or on your team that also are done with that sport, they're struggling too. They're just not talking about it. Mm -hmm. So reaching out to others. Um, and I think one thing too, is finding something that still, you know, lights that fire in you somehow. And so if you are a swimmer and you can still swim and you, you know, want to do open water races go for it sign up still train see how that goes and see if that still lights that passion and fire in you Mm -hmm. and if you know you're a runner start doing road races and that's what I did granted I was a sprinter and I did not want to start training for the 400 by myself that's awful that's that's
1: torturous yeah
0: yeah I'm trying to like run and attached and meets I was like no I'm not going to do that but I did miss running so I started training and I ran a marathon and I ran a half marathon and I really like, you know, 5K, 10Ks. And that's mm-hmm. where I get that still, that fire still lights up in me. And yeah. for dancing, like we said earlier, I became a Zoom instructor. yeah That's a way I can still feel, you know, like I am getting that. And sometimes if it's not in the same sport, finding something else, like I know some athletes who will be in a team sport and it's really hard for them to play that team sport because you need a team right or you need certain equipment that you don't have available for you so what else can give you that and so like maybe you were a gymnast and gymnastics you takes a lot of courage right you're doing some scary things and so you're pretty brave and so to really get that feeling and light that fire sometimes you need to do something that scares you a little bit more and so maybe they turn to rock climbing or something where there's a little bit of a dangerous element there mm-hmm. and a lot of times they'll find that that Fuels them and fills up their cup in that way. So you can still keep that athlete identity. I think you know, thinking that you need to give it up if you don't want to, you don't have to. You can find it in a different realm and still call yourself an athlete.
1: Yeah, I, it, there's this. I'll say quote, but I'm going to paraphrase um, from an entrepreneur who has been. I lose track of time, so it has to have been five or six years ago that I listened to this podcast. But there's just this idea stuck in my head he mentions that um a lot of our stress revolves around reality looking different than our expectations of what reality actually is and on top of that that our identity is based on the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are Mm -hmm. so when those two things collide and you've been telling yourself i'm a you know, I am a field hockey player and I no longer have a field hockey team. And then your reality crashes with your expectations of reality. And then you have that, that stress, which can come out in different ways, depression or anxiety or, or yeah. whatever it is. I think it becomes tough to deal with when you don't know who to talk to about it.
0: Yeah. And then another big thing that I work on with athletes is recreating your identity. And so, like you said, if your identity is a field hockey player, so maybe it's not athlete, it's specific to field hockey and you don't have that, Right. If you feel like, you lost an identity, well, what else are you or what else do you want to become? And starting to think of other identities that you have that maybe you just haven't focused on or identities mm-hmm. that you want to strive for. And then you don't feel so empty not having that field hockey identity.
1: So if somebody's came to you, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. If yeah, somebody came to you and they 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 played field hockey from the time they were three until twenty two. Now they're out of school and they they have no other hobbies. They've never tried anything else. Where do you start with them? Like, how do you get them onto a new path and building that new identity when they know nothing? Obviously, this is a, a little exaggerated, but <laughs> yeah, you know. But if, if, if they say, "What, well, Jenna?" I I play field hockey. I don't do anything else. I have no other interests. You know, I I don't play an instrument. Mm -hmm. I don't do art. I I I don't do anything else. I just do field hockey. How do I find a new identity? Like, where do you get them going?
0: Well, first it'd be a lot of motivational interviewing skills. Like, do they want to find a new identity yet? Right. Because if I'm, you know, trying to work with them on let's find a new identity and they don't want to. That's right. not going to get us anywhere. So they need to be <laughs> yes. motivated. I'm like, I'm ready to give up this identity and start something else. And so I would probably first just see where they're at. And if they're not ready to move on yet, then maybe just talking about what they loved about field hockey, like what it did for them, what it felt like when they played, and um, kind of coming up with like you know, things that it gave them. And then that way we can start finding things that also might spark that in them as well. And so first just kind of talking about it and maybe even reliving their like highlights and kind of just, you know, their legacy of it. And, and maybe if they really don't want to give up field hockey, like how else can they still be a part of that sport? If it's that sport that's so special to them, Mm -hmm. maybe organizing pickup games with people or, you know, coaching. That's why a lot of people go into coaching because they're like, I can't give up this, you know, this identity yet. And if I can't do it, then I'm going to coach it. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe working on that with them or, you know, if they're like, yep, I'm done with field hockey. Then, like I said, starting to come up with what other things can you do that gives still gives you that spark and that lights that passion in you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it might take some trial and error. They might, you know, need to go do some different activities that maybe they never even thought of and then reflect on how'd you feel when you did it.
1: Yeah. I I think, you know, you clearly have more professional experience in, in guiding people in this aspect, but I, I've had this kind of kind of conversation with people before, and it seems like it's tough on a personal level. There's so many things that interest me; I simply don't have enough time to do all of them.
0: Same here. <laughs> my husband always tells me I have too many slices in my pie.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm like, yeah, I want to. I want to learn metal engraving. Yep. I want to get back to like making jewelry. And, oh, yep. I'm still playing the violin. And like, I, you know, there's just too many things. Mm-hmm. So like finding passions or hobbies has never been a problem for me. And sometimes I think I feel like that gets in my way of ha- guide, trying to guide people who have a, a tough time that don't necessarily f- feel that initial spark with, I'll say anything, obviously, I'm being a little mm-hmm. obtuse. Um, but like th- it just seems like there's not as easy of a, a spark that starts with hey maybe I would be interested in doing that thing you know I, I think I fall back on um, uh, wh- what what's the phrase hobbies are pursued interest over time or something like mm-hmm. that where it's like well maybe you only have a mild interest in it but if you continue Looking into it over time, you find that it develops into a passion because you've learned more about it and you know about it and you you become involved.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very, yeah that's very true. Sometimes a hobby, you know, might just be a hobby, and then the more you do it, it becomes passion. And sometimes yeah. there might be things that you don't even know you're going to be super passionate about until you give it a try.
1: Right. At that That's where I feel like the tough part is. Because for people like us, we're like, I have I have an endless list of things <laughs> I'm interested in. But then for the, for you know, and then we're obviously one side of the coin. Then the opposite side of the coin is like, how do you guide those people to, to find a new identity when they don't even know where to start? I, I, do you have any better ideas than I just say, uh, you just need to try some things. Just say yes to things for a while.
0: Yeah. And, and sometimes too, it's, you have other identities. You know, you don't need to create a new one. Mm-hmm. So just because you're not a field hockey player anymore, whatever that one was, like just sitting down saying like who else are you? You know, what other identities do you have? Maybe you are a brother, right? And that's really important to you. And so now you have this time to build that relationship with your brother or do things with him. And you can strengthen your other identities, too, because maybe some of those that are really important to you, they kind of, you know, were on the, on the sidelines while you were so focused on that athlete identity. Mm-hmm. And then now you can bring those other identities that are already there. So you don't have to go seek out a new one, seek out a new passion. They're already there, but you can strengthen those instead.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Um... I got off of my own issue with asking you about this, and I did want to back up a little bit um, and give you a little bit of a hard time. This, this comes from a place of love because I, I one of my undergrad majors was psychology. So this is kind of a reflective question,
0: okay. but,
1: but why, um, why did you get into psychology or sports psychology in particular? Um, I'm sure you've heard people talk about, you know, everybody that's in psychology had some sort of trauma or issue themselves, and they're always trying to fix their own problems. (laughs) I find sometimes that's true, not always. Um, So I'm always curious what, as a psychology major, I'm always curious what people are thinking. (laughs) So how did you get into the field? What, you know, what was your kind of journey?
0: Yeah, so mine actually started in high school, and I really don't know why I was drawn to psychology. I just before I even took a class, I was just like, you know, psychology sounds really interesting to me. And I knew nothing about it, but I just, I don't know if the word sounded interesting to me. Just like the name of, I don't, I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So junior year in high school, I took um, a psychology course and, um, and I really liked it. And from there I decided, well, my senior year there was AP psych. And I said, I'm going to take AP psychology. And if I still like it and still find it super interesting and if I do well, so if I like, you know, take the AP exam and I pass it, I kind of like, this is how I told myself. I said, if all those things happen, then, then I, you know, I'm interested and I'm good at it. I'm going to go to school and major, right? Like for college, that's going to be my major. That's what I'm going to pursue. So I already like told myself this Mm -hmm. and I signed up for AP psych and I still loved it even more. And it was my, my favorite classes my senior year. And I actually didn't even really study for the AP exam, which was really dumb on my part. But it was like <laughs> my way, I think in high school, it was like I wanted to see how good I could be without trying really hard, which
1: mm-hmm.
0: now is just not you know, a good path to right. go down. If you want to do something well, you should work at it. But I, I was kind of stubborn, I'm like, I just want to see if I'm naturally good at this. And I did end up passing that AP exam. And um, got the AP credit and I, you know, then decided I was going to UW lacrosse and I liked their psychology program and I knew this is what I wanted to go to school for. And I was one of those odd ones that actually went to school with a degree in mind and stuck with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think nowadays it doesn't really happen. Um, nor is it always. Yeah. Because you don't know if you're going to like that topic or not. And I just continued to love psychology with all of the courses I took in my undergrad And knew I wanted to go to grad school to pursue my degree even further in psychology. And I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it was about my junior year, I was thinking of programs and thinking clinical or counseling or school psych, like something like that. And never even heard of sports psych and loved sports. Like athletics was always a huge part of me. And I was kind of sad in a way of like, well, if I go clinical or counseling, like how am I still going to have sports alive in my life? And figured i'll just like coach my kids sports and then i was actually watching the summer olympics going into my senior year and they were interviewing it was track and field and they were interviewing one of the winners and i wish i knew who it was um but they were interviewing them and they asked them what did you do to prepare for this event or this race and they said they worked a lot with their sports psychologist and i was just like what the heck is a sports psychologist (laughs) like are you kidding me like this is this is a thing and i just researched it myself and stumbled sports psychology and spoke to my professors and they didn't know anything about it um, mm. which wasn't very helpful but then it was like the stars aligned for me because going into my senior year we got an email with the psych department that we got a new faculty who actually had a sports psychology background and um, so shout out to Dr. Q um, at UW lacrosse he was a lifesaver um, I did not take any of his courses because he was teaching all just like you know the intro to psych classes and I didn't need any of those, but I met with him many times in his office and he told me everything about sports psychology, about the programs. Um, he helped me kind of find my passion and like what I kind of wanted to focus on and what programs he thought would fit me. And yeah, then I decided, yeah, this is what I'm gonna do sports psychology and decided to go to Minnesota state Mankato and got my master's there.
1: The thing that like always boggles my mind a little bit is that we, there are so many coaches and it's becoming a little more prevalent now. So it's not as bad, but there's so many coaches and people in general that want to make sports out just to be like a purely physical endeavor Or it's yeah. like, you know, I was just talking about kind of something similar with my last guest. We were talking about rate of perceived exertion as a, as a good measure for, um, stress over time, where that's obviously a very like um, subjective measure. It's all about how I feel. You know, it's not a. It, it you can make it into a number, but it's not. It's not quantifiable in terms of like I can run this fast or I can you know punch this hard or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it 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 just makes me a little nutty sometimes that coaches want to ignore the entire brain part and like what's going on inside your head because that's what's running. Like that, that's the engine, you know, Mm -hmm. it's running the machine. If like, it's not in the right place. You're not going to get the entirety out of the machine.
0: Yep. Yep. So
1: I'm glad it's, it's becoming more of a forefront, but it, it seems like it's taken way too much extra effort to get there because of how important it is
0: yeah and it is really awesome they they are taking steps forward and yes wish it was sooner but um, it definitely is being talked about more and more and the ncaa you know just passed for that mental health initiative you know Mm -hmm. that all d1 programs need to have someone on staff in their athletic department you know for um, the mental health awareness piece and i think that's amazing for athletes to have so we're yeah. heading in the right direction.
1: Right, right. Well, it's it coming from a running background. Maybe that's the thing is because I've always had coach coaches preach running is 90% mental and 10% physical. Yeah. Obviously, it's a little over exaggeration, but it yeah. gets the point <laughs> across. Yeah, that's very important. Like, yeah, that like, hey, you got to get your head in the right place.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's like, it's, it's, even if with them preaching that, there was no, there was no like coaching mental strategies. Hey, how are you feeling today? What you know? are you dealing with any anxieties? What's going on at home? And maybe at least in high school, maybe it's a matter of there's professional issues there. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a high school teacher. So I don't know if that becomes a, a gray area where like you can't, there's certain professional lines you can't cross. I, I don't know. Um, but, but there was no, you know, coaching strategies to that effect, even though it was pointed out, hey, this is a very important thing. It was just kind of like, hey, it's important. Hope you figure it out.
0: Yep. And I really think for all coaches, even if you are worried about, you know, like ethically, like what you can and can't do. Right. I think you're doing a disservice though, for all your athletes, if you're not at least checking in and asking them how they're doing. Right. Like you're not going to get in trouble for asking them how they're doing. Or what are you thinking about? What's going on inside your head? You're not gonna get any trouble for that. You know, once you start thinking you're a counselor, then yes, but it's okay for them to let you know what's going on. And then I think it's really important for all coaches to know, like, if you have athletes who are really struggling, like, who is the counselor at the school? You know, who, like, where's the counseling department on campus? And have those resources so that you are following the ethical guidelines of like, okay, yeah, this is out of my scope, but I know what to do now. Like I know who to call, and who to refer them to so that you are helping your athletes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it a little bit begs the question since, as you mentioned, now there, were, there are more positions kind of opening up. How did you end up starting your own thing versus like kind of attaching to an already made program?
0: Yeah, um, well, it started pretty much the last um, semester of my grad program at Minnesota State Mankato, where we're all, you know, headed towards graduation, finishing up our capstones, and everyone's talking about, like, you know, what are we going to do next? And then there's me, and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I knew I loved working with teams and coaches and athletes on the mental side, and I I loved that piece, and I really liked being in the field, um, you know, just – working with them in workshops and individual sessions. And I know I didn't want to go back to school right away. Um, the research side definitely is needed, um, not needed by me, cause I'm not the best at that. Um, but like put me in the field, hands on, you know, like just out there roughing it with them and like put me on the sidelines during a game or anything like that. Like that's what I wanted to do, be at practice and um, all that hands on instead of more the research side. And so I was thinking about what, what could I do, and my now husband, then boyfriend at the time, uh, he was living in Wisconsin in his hometown, a small town called Prairie du Sac, Wisconsin. And I was in Minnesota, and he actually owns his own company. He owns an automotive shop, and I knew like, he was staying there. And he actually just bought a house, and the plan was, once I graduated, I was moving there. So I'm moving to a small town, Wisconsin, and sports psychology is not really well known. And so I was like, well, how do I do this? Like, how do I do what I want to do, what I'm passionate about in this area? Mm -hmm. So that's where I was really torn because there were job opportunities out there for me and I could apply to them, but I would have to move and I'd have to do distance. And I didn't know if I wanted to do that. And so I was, I was really torn. And that's when I thought like, well, you know, I could just go, you know, the route of starting my own consulting company and then I can just market myself and I can do what I love. And my mentor, Cinder Campoff, uh, was amazing. She was definitely an advocate for me to go that route and helped immensely because I did not know the business side. So when I was thinking about this, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, what am I going to name it? How do I get an LLC? How do I build a Like all that stuff. I was like, I don't know how to do any of this. And Cinder really was like, you know, you'll figure it out. If you have any questions, call me because she opened her own consulting company in Mankato, Minnesota. And it was Really small at the time too for sports sake. She's like, you know, it's a chance to grow the field. And so when I looked at it at that lens instead, it didn't seem so scary. And with her help and all my cohort, they were really helpful. I remember going to class like, okay, I'm gonna start thinking of some business names. We're like shooting around, you know, names until I came up with the mental Clutch and, um, yeah. So it was pretty much until I graduated. Um, and I remember when I came up with the mental Clutch, I like googled it to see if it was, you know, available and I found the domain and it was available and I I bought it in like March and I graduated in May 2017. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, I'm doing this. Like I'm I'm committed to doing this. And then I spent the summer at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida as a leadership and character development coach to just really build up my skills mm-hmm. working with teams and athletes um so that when I did come back then at the end of summer in Wisconsin, I really felt like I was at a place where I could market myself and and knew more of my worth of like, yeah, like I can ask for, you know, getting paid for my services. Now I'm not, Mm. you know, a graduate student anymore. I now I'm a professional, you know, and that really built up my confidence to go for it.
1: Yeah. What's interesting is that I guess in my, my own little sphere or perspective um, it seems like a lot of people go consulting after they, you know, so they spent five, 10 years or longer in whatever field, doesn't matter. And then they're like, oh, I'm burnt out at doing this. Now I'm gonna do consulting, versus you're just like right out of the gate, like, this is how it's gonna make it happen. Which, which I admire and relate to because you know, you had a situation where it's like, well, my husband lives here and this is something I wanna do. And it wasn't simply a matter of, well, there's no opportunity for me here. So now I need to go wait tables or insert any other non-related job. It was, yep. how do I, how do I make all of it happen? You know? And I, I feel like that's a, a mentality that's lacking in so many people like th- that. It's like they see a barrier instead of an opportunity.
0: Yeah. And that, I mean, it, it and then sometimes I did see it as a barrier. It did right. have, to, you know, I did have to kind of change that mindset. Right. You know, at first, I was like, well, I can't do sports psychology in this small town, you know, and then it took like, you know, people be like, well, grow it. And it did, I did have to change my mindset, but it was a huge shift once I did that mm-hmm. and then could see it as an opportunity. And, you know, like, hey, no one knows about this. Now I can teach them about it. Mm-hmm. And then, too, of like, hey, no one has worked with the sport, you know, performance consultant before like great if I'm really bad they don't even know like <laughs> you know when I first started I'm like what if I don't do very well I'm like they're not even gonna you know who are they gonna compare me to right yeah
1: you know, there's no, just there's no all the like, opportunities it's that's the perfect way to approach it where it's like well if this goes horrible nobody else is gonna know and it'll be perfectly fine
0: yeah yeah and I'm like oh I don't know anyone at that town yet like <laughs>
1: No, I love that. That's great. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's all in the mentality. Right. And that's kind of, I mean, that's what you do. It's like, why not? Mm -hmm. You know, instead of seeing the, I can't, it's how can I?
0: Yeah. And that's huge in sports too. And even outside of sports, just in life, because we always think, what if it doesn't go the way I want it to Mm -hmm. or what if I fail? And we always look at the negatives and the, you know, the, the bad what ifs right. and if we can change it and just ask ourselves, but, but what if it goes well, or what if it does happen the way I want it to, mm-hmm. or what if we do meet our goals? And then thinking of that, instead of all the negative, what ifs, it, it really fuels us in a different way, in a better way.
1: in, in you know, you have more hands-on experience with all these athletes trying to, you know, Coach them. I'll say coach, but I'm not sure if that's the exact right terminology. Um, but it, it seems like the, the downsides that we imagine in our minds often seem much larger than they actually are.
0: Yes, they are.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. we're like, we think about, like, like you said, like, if it goes horrible, like, what's the downside? Okay, I, I like, I learned a lesson. Maybe I get better. Uh, maybe I'm embarrassed for a little bit, but like, is that is that that bad? You know. Versus the upside, it's like, well, now you get everything you wanted. You know, you you mm-hmm. are, you get to not make an ultimatum to your husband where you're like, I'm moving. And you're either coming with me and losing the business, or like, there's there, that situation doesn't have to happen. You get to follow your passion. Like, you get to, you you get all of it, and then the downside is maybe I'm embarrassed if it goes wrong (laughs) exactly
0: exactly and it doesn't seem as bad and it always doesn't seem as big of a deal to an outsider so obviously when it's your situation it's huge but to someone else they're like well you know if the business doesn't go very well then you know you apply for a job somewhere else there you know or you you know just stop doing that business and start something else but to you, you're like, no. And I, I, remember, I remember where it was. I don't know if it was a podcast or um, who it was, but they, always, um, they were saying that they always asked the question, like, but did you die?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When something seems like really scary, or really bad, or like, you know, or I failed or, or I, I messed up so bad, but did you die? No. Okay, was it that bad then? Like, you don't need to hear it Okay, it's not that bad. Like, so, and sometimes you just need someone on your side to just ask you those questions when your mind is so thinking the negatives. And so as a mental coach, that's a lot of times what I just do is Mm -hmm. just ask those questions, you know, but what if I fail? And I just ask them, what if you succeed? And just ask them to think about that. Right. And, and the more you do that, then they can start asking themselves those more effective questions.
1: And That's what I was going to ask you is whether you basically are the effective outside voice of objection, where they're stuck on what if it goes wrong what if it goes wrong and then you get to sidetrack that mental track and be like yeah but what if it goes right
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and slowly break down that pattern is that is that what you do most of the time
0: yeah so it obviously depends on the client and you know their right. their situation and what they're struggling with and a lot of times it is their self-talk and it's you know the story they're telling themselves and a lot of times it is very negative and so I am trying to get them to see it a different way and change that self-talk to make it more effective for them. And so it's helpful. And there are some athletes, it it helps them to think of the negatives because they can prepare for it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, so it's different, you know, instead of thinking negatively or positively, I think of it more of like thinking effectively, you know, or non-effectively. So if it's helping you, great. If it's not helping you, let's change it. Um, And A lot of times if it is a scary situation for them or they're thinking of the negative, what ifs I go with that instead of just always trying to reframe it and change it to like, you know, let's think of the other side. Sometimes I'll go with it and be like, okay, let's say you do fail. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they don't even know what failing means. They're like, well, I don't want to fail. You know, like, okay, well, what is, what is failing in your sport? Well, I guess losing. Okay. So, you know, if you don't lose, then you didn't fail. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then we talk about like, why is losing considered failing for you? And, you know, focusing maybe more on the effort, you know, like, well, what if you, you know, played the best game of your life and you still lost, you failed in your mind. And then they're like, wait, that doesn't really make sense. Then just kind of getting them to think through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then working through the what if scenarios. And so if they're perfect example, you know, track and field athlete, if they're worried about false starting, Mm-hmm. I might have them like, okay, let's do some imagery and you false started. What does that look like? And then they don't think it's as scary if they've actually gone through it in their mind and they see themselves overcome that negative what if scenario. Then it's mm-hmm. not nagging them constantly.
1: Yeah, it, that's a great one to think about. I, you know, I, It happened every once in a while, but as a distance athlete, it is not generally a concern to false start. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's a little that, different for sprinters. <laughs> right, I was like, with, with a sprinter, like you've got to get getting off the line, especially when we're talking about the hundred. I mean, that's
0: you the blah The whole and, the whole race yeah. can
1: be right there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Versus, well, if we're doing the five thousand, and I started a half second behind everybody else, it's probably going to be fine. So I don't have to worry about getting up the line. But that that's that's a great one. Um, see, now I just lost my train of thought. Um, where are we going? Negative self-talk? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I saw you posting about um, so school sports starting again. I saw you post, I think it was a, 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 a or commenting about an article about the parent-coach relationship and trying to frame that in a new way. Can you speak to that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So it was actually an article from Positive Coaching Alliance and they, they're a great resource. So I do recommend all parents to kind of check that out and even coaches, especially if you're coaching youth athletes, they have amazing resources and they just um, released an article saying, you know, how, especially with COVID, but I mean, even without COVID, the, it's really important to have that, um, you know, relationship built there. And they're looking at as a parent, like what you can do, to help that, build that relationship with your child and the coach. And they kind of break it down into certain steps that you can do. Um, and just really kind of keeping out those lines of open communication, knowing your role as the parent, um, how you can support your child without overstepping with the coach. Um, and, and just really trying to be there and be that supporter that your child needs.
1: It, because you it, correct me if I'm wrong. You're focusing more on, I'll say, youth athletes or younger athletes. Is this something that you deal with? What do you mean? So like, the like, I'll say like the negative side of like like an overbearing parent or something in in sports. Is that a, a mentality you run into that you've got to kind of navigate with the athlete or? potentially with a parent you know i'm not sure how broad the scope of your consulting goes
0: yeah so um if i'm understanding correctly like have i worked with an athlete where there's like an overbearing parent right yes i have (laughs) (laughs) yes i think if you work with youth athletes in any capacity you have dealt with an overbearing parent um i think what do they call them now lawnmower parents instead of helicopter parents so okay i hadn't you know, heard that term but yeah so they're not helicopter parents anymore they're not just over the, the kid but now they're lawnmower parents so they are literally mowing over any obstacle or issue that's okay. in the child's way and yeah. making that path clear for them <laughs> so yes i have dealt with um many lawnmower parents <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, I like that i'll have to tell my dad about that he likes mowing the lawn so then well it'll be he he, he was never that way he was very adamant about me being successful, but they very much stood my parents kind of gave that gift to me and stood back and just you like do your thing. Whatever it is you're gonna do just you
0: can overcome it yourself. Yeah,
1: just go and yeah. like just do just do it. Like um because I had enough drive myself. Like I didn't need to be driven. So maybe that's part of it too. Um
0: but they could have helped instill that in you
1: too. Oh well sh- no for sure.
0: Yeah for sure. So
1: yeah. You too, no I um, my father's an incredibly hard worker, um, and that kind of runs in the family. Is like always very competitive, in sports, just very driven people. And then I also had um, my martial arts instructor. I've briefly spoken about on another episode. I can't remember with who. Um, a from Russia, Russian. Um, very like driven, gonna like make sure you get it done kind of guy. Um, so, having those influences definitely kind of shaped me at a young age. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Awesome.
1: Um, I do want to ask you about something that I talk about with a lot of guests, and I, I just talked about with my last guest prior to you, um, uh, Dr. Max, we were talking about injuries, And I think you deal a little bit with post injury mentality. And uh, I think I'd seen, I'll call it a meme or a quote something about, I mean, you're still an athlete even if you've been injured. Yeah. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about that? You know, I've been injured a ton of times. So what, like, what should I be doing if I get injured um, to try to stay in the game?
0: Yeah. So that quote is actually from a book, Rebound. Um, I think I actually. Do I have it right over here? No, I think it's downstairs. Um, I am currently trying to finish it up, but um, just a really great book, um, Rebound by Carrie Tito. And um, so it talks all about how to rebound from an injury within your sport. And um, great read. If any injured athletes out there want to pick it up, highly recommend it. And it really gives a lot of tangible tools and like skills and um, things you can go through yourself and that are going to help you bounce back. And so I think one of the biggest things is if you are injured, knowing that, you know, I don't know, it depends on your injury, but there, there's a, you can come back from it. And obviously there's certain situations where maybe you can't, and maybe coming back is going to look very different. But I think having that mindset of this, I'm injured right now, but this isn't where I need to stay. And you know, like you, you're, you're still an athlete. You didn't lose that identity. You just need to, You know, your, your sport now is your recovery and your rehab, and you have to work just as hard in that as you did before you were injured.
1: Is that, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like, what does your day-to-day look like? Are you dealing more with those kind of things or is it really just a a grab bag of, you know, whatever team I'm working with, we're going to deal with this. You know, I, I guess I'm just curious about your, your because it is such a new field and I don't have any personal experience with it, um, you know, whether it's like, these are the five things that I always have to coach through, or if it's just, I really tend to have to take everybody individual by individual.
0: Like what I do with my clients. right? Yeah. So, um, I really try to meet them where they're at. So, it is very individual. So, if I work with a team and I, you know, get reached out by a coach or an athletic director, whatever that is, um, mm-hmm. I always, you know, try to meet with the coach and ask them a series of questions, trying to get them to under, get them to under, or for me to get to understand them and their team. And I want to know their goals. I want to know their strengths. I want to know their weaknesses. I want to know the coaching philosophy. I want to know what they want to get out of these sessions as well, because it's, I'm doing a disservice if I try to say, you know, every team's the same, every athlete's the same, and this is what I bring to the table and I'm going to do it the same for everyone. I could do that, but it won't be very effective. Right. And so I wanna know a lot about the team. I may even try to go to a practice or a game and, and watch them. I really like doing that as well because you might hear certain things from a coach, but if you watch it, you can see things that maybe a coach is even picking up on, depending on the coach's background within sports psych. And then I can really tailor the workshops to what I feel like the team needs. And so then I'll, I'll go from that end. And if I'm working with an individual, I really just try to get to know them. So the first session I always say is an intake and I just ask them questions. I feel like, Oh, kind of like what we're doing. I get to know them. Um, I want to know their background. I want to know who they are as an athlete. I want to know who they are outside of being an athlete, um, their struggles, um, you know, their strengths as well and what they want to get out of the sessions. And then I tailor our individual sessions around their needs. And so sometimes they're injured athletes Sometimes they're just, you know, dealing with a lot of negative self-talk and self-doubts, or maybe they're, you know, gearing up for a big meet or a big competition. They just want to enhance their confidence a little bit more going into it and their focus. And with teams, it could be building team culture. It could be um, getting ready for a big game themselves. And then, you know, the coach just wants the upper edge. It could be communication, whatever whatever they need. But I do say I specialize in teaching the clutch mentality. Mm-hmm. And so if there is a team or if I'm doing workshops with a bunch of different sports where it's hard to tailor it specific to them, I do have a program. It's, um, it's either one hour session where I condense them all or I can break it down into six sessions. And I call it the clutch mentality. And so the clutch is an acronym. And so each letter is a different mental skill that I touch base on and kind of say that if you build the clutch mentality, it's what I call like the eye of the storm mentality. So, it's teaching you to be the calm in the chaos of the storm that's around you and your sport or your performance and how you can get there.
1: Okay. So, that maybe answers my next question or thought in that I was thinking because it has to be so individual to, you know, hey, where is this person or this team at? how do we address their particular issues or scenario rather than issues? Um, I was wondering, is there an ideal mentality, which maybe that is exactly what you were talking about.
0: Yeah. The eye of the storm. Right. So I did start it as the eye of the storm mentality, but then when I created like the acronym clutch Mm -hmm. for the six mental skills, then I call it the clutch mentality. But essentially it is, having that eye of the storm mentality, being that calm in the storm. And and if you can do that, ultimately you're going to be able to have more clutch performances.
1: Right. So it obviously the acronym is going to make it more succinct. But is there is there I'll call it an elevator pitch, but that's my own jargon. <laughs> is there is there an elevator pitch for what that what that looks like?
0: What the clutch mentality is? Right. So I, I talk about it as, as you're in a storm, right? And what's the eye of the storm? And that's, that's the calmness. And so when you're in a high stake performance or, or game, there's the chaos that's going on around you, right? You mm-hmm. have the team, you have the fans, whatever it is, you have the pressure. But how can you stay calm in that chaos and create your own eye of the storm? And that's what I teach with the clutch mentality.
1: Okay. Okay. It's, it's a really interesting field. Also, I'll have to keep in touch with you to see how things develop over time. Um, I'm glad people like you are out there doing it, because it is so important. Like I said, it's just we have the whole, as a culture, finally kind of addressing mental health on the grand scale a little bit mm-hmm. more, um, not appropriately, but giving it its appropriate weight a little more maybe is what I'm after. Um, yeah, instead of ignoring it or, you know, just saying, oh, that person's crazy, you know, it's like, no, there's something going on. But then, you know, within that, dealing with these kind of, I'll say, normal behaviors that we go through in in sports and in performance and and trying to, I'll frame it as help ourselves grow to be Stronger individuals to deal with our own, um, you know, mental talk or mental game. So I I appreciate that you're out there doing that.
0: Yeah, thanks. And I appreciate that you have the podcast and you're, (laughs) you know, also spreading the word and and that you invited me to be on the podcast today, too.
1: Yeah. Um, So you did watch a couple of my episodes. So you may know as we are winding down time here. Um, I'm asking everybody the same question this year. So I'm asking everybody what you think the purpose of sport is.
0: I think the purpose of sport is honestly to learn life lessons. I think that's really what it comes down to. And you can do it. You can learn life lessons, you know, not being in sports. So I don't think you have to be in sports to do it. But I think sport is an amazing vehicle and able to do that.
1: Very succinct answer. And I, I think a great one as well. Um, Jenna, if people want to keep up with you, get in touch with you, um, maybe have them have you help them with their game, where can they find you? Where can they get in touch?
0: Yeah, so my company is The Mental Clutch and um, I have my website. So www.thementalclutch.org. Um, you can find me there. Um, you can shoot me an email as well at mentalclutch at clutch.org. Very redundant, but that's the one I got and I didn't know how to change it. So sticking with it. Um, Otherwise you can follow me on social media. I have kind of stopped for a little bit on social media since I just had my, my son seven weeks ago. Um, but I am starting to get back into it. So I should be more active on that. Um, and you can find me on Instagram, um, Twitter, Facebook, and it's all the mental clutch. And I also have um, LinkedIn as well. I'm not as active on LinkedIn. I'm trying to do that, but it's just hard to do it all. So (laughs) LinkedIn is definitely my- You can't
1: do it all. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) For for you listening, don't give Jenna a hard time. If you're on LinkedIn, just find her somewhere else. Like She'll take care of you, I promise.
0: Yeah, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, I'm the most active on for social media. (laughs)
1: Yeah, good deal. Jenna, thanks for hanging out with me today.
0: Yes, thank you.